It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. Sir Ian McKellen and Roger Allen are currently on the London stage in their hit production, Frank and Percy. Last week, they dropped into the Evening Standard Theatre podcast to talk about that and both of their incredible careers on stage and screen. This is a little taste of what's in that show. To hear the full special edition, search for the Evening Standard Theatre podcast on your provider of choice. This is a very fun interview. So Ian McKellen, Roger Allen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, um, Thank you very much. All, Roger, can we ask, what's the play about? Well, it's about two older men who meet while walking their dogs on Hampstead Heath. Form a friendship from that, and also about the fact that they're quite lonely and looking for something in their life. And really, it's their story about how it's difficult to, at that stage in life, to form any kind of relationship, really. But they do find love, and so it's rather hopeful and optimistic and very funny. What first attracted the two of you to to the play? Was it written for you? Because it's got no, things it was in not. it. Uh, ben uh, Weatherill from Leicester, the town that produced Joe Orton. Ben uh, had written a, a, a play that had gone down very well at the Bush the tiny theatre in London, and then transferred to the National Theatre. Then during a a lockdown with the virus, Ben was out walking on his own with his dog, and the man whirred away, and perhaps he saw other dog walkers in the distance, or indeed talked to them, as, as dog walkers do. It's very easy to talk to someone with a dog, in a way that you would never dream of talking to someone on their own, isn't it? I suppose if they had a cat, you might... Strike up conversation. But anyway. Certainly if it was on a lead, yeah. <laughs> it came out of uh, his own experience uh, of perhaps feeling more lonely than normal and uh, out of his uh, fertile imagination. I was reading this thing and <laughs> laughing out loud, which is not, e- not easy to do. It was like reading an Alan Akebourne play or an Alan Bennett. I mean, there's something in common. There's, there's, there's an aptitude for hearing what is funny in, in dialogue. And I just thought, this is going to go down a treat with audiences, and so it's proved. Mm. It deals with ageing and grief and death and living a good life. But are those things that kind of occupy you at all? Yes. Yeah. Constantly, yes. really? I think because a, a, a number of people close to me have died fairly recently. My children, although they're young men, they still need 
us around as parents. And so I think about death and worry about it all the time. In a play like this, does it allow you to sort of explore those? Because it certainly is a very tender look at yes, the ageing yes, process. Yes, you, you do feel it. And Ian, how, how about there is, you? There is death sort of hanging over this play, isn't it? I mean, um, Roger's character is, is, is a widower, yeah. uh, and uh, not fairly recently. I don't think a day goes by when I don't have a quite a long period either talking about death with somebody my same age as me or, or just thinking about it. You can't avoid it. I mean, nobody tells you when you're a kid that, uh, well, they tell you you're going to die, but they, they don't tell you that your friends are going to die. Yeah. Uh, not to make a cliche, death is terribly permanent. I mean, they're not coming back. And it's the memories, isn't it? And then you feel nostalgic and a bit bewildered and sad. So this play, you know, from the pen of a 31-year-old, um, skips over these subjects uh, in sometimes in depth and sometimes very lightly. Yeah. I think it's a very, very cunning play. And um, the high spots, the, the, the dramatic moments, arrive just when you need them, you know. Also, I suppose it's about finding uh, the, the positive uh, of, of finding someone else at, at that age as well, and just the, glor- the glorious nature of connecting with people at any stage of life. I Absolutely, that, and that it is possible, mm. even though it might be unexpected. Yeah. So, although it's a, it's a gay love story, I, it could be said, or a gay rom-com, I think you've called it. Yeah. Um, I think it appeals to anybody. It seems to, and rather heartening uh, for someone who remembers the time when. Funny to put this into words. It was illegal to be gay. Sounds mad, doesn't it? It's, it's, it is incredible, oh, it isn't it? Mad. There was a time, yeah, not that long ago, when it was illegal to be what you were born. <laughs> but when when these two guys kiss, there's a roar of approval, isn't there? It? Is, Off, yes, it's lovely yeah. from a, a perfectly ordinary theatre audience, which makes me think that. Theatre audiences are probably the best people in the world. Really. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, I agree. think you're right. Well, you know, they're, they're on the whole socially liberal, aren't they? And, and they're interested in people and interested in things that they don't know about. And uh, they convey their enjoyment. I think that's what's nice yes. about yeah. people laughing out loud. OK, time for a quick advert. Remember, the whole interview is available on the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. We're back in a sec. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 
Roger, going back in time a little bit, uh, you originated Javert in the uh, London Les Miserables production. I just wondered how you look back on it now, because it wasn't the easiest start to life. It wasn't the record-breaking run that it is now and film and all of that, and just what it was like at the time. Well, to begin with, it was very, very long. (laughs) (laughs) And loud. Yes, and very loud, yes. (laughs) But by the time we got to the West End, it had... um, been cut a bit but the thing is is that it was always packed yeah it was absolutely packed at the barbican and when we moved into the west end it was absolutely packed there princess diana came to see it at the barbican which was a couple of million quids worth of free publicity (laughs) and then she came to see it again at the palace bringing charles which was another couple of million quids worth of free publicity i guess so that helped. Yeah. I always, you know, looked out and it, it just, uh, there wasn't an empty seat to see. I thought that's what the West End was like. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> would, uh, would either of you do another musical? Well, I don't know if Roger knows, but I have subsequently, subsequently appeared in Les Miserables. Have you? In the cut-down version, which is now often tours the country. And oh, when, yeah. I, when I was in Newcastle three or four years ago, doing a one-man show one night. Uh, It was in the theatre where um, the rest of the week uh, Les Mis was was playing. And I was drinking with with members of the company after their show one night, and they were singing the songs round the pub. It was absolutely delightful. And I was joining in with Gusto, from what I could remember, (laughs) having seen Roger in the original production. And then I said, oh, I'd love to be in Les Mis. And someone said, well, why don't you come and do the matinee? Sure. So, <laughs> I said, absolutely, yes, but you must call Cameron Mackintosh and see if it's all right. Cameron Mackintosh is the producer. He came back immediately and said, exactly, but your, your character must have a name, and I want to announce it as the lights are going down that at this performance the part of will be played by Ian McCallum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, no, no, the point is nobody knows I'm in this show apart from the the actors and singers on stage. But I did give myself the name of um, Hugo Victor, which nice. I quite witty. Nice. And I disguised <laughs> myself with, with an eye patch <laughs> and, and, and a crutch and uh, an old man's walk that I, I was very proud of. <laughs> it was only when I got on stage on the barricades that I realised everybody else, of course, was a student. Everyone was meant to be young, and I was drawing attention to myself by playing a very, very old man. <laughs> And the astonishing thing, Roger, we talk about microphones often because neither of them like having them, do we? Particularly not in plays. But uh, they all have microphones, so they don't have to sing very loud. And when you're on stage with them, you can't hear them singing. What you hear is something happening over there where the audience is, which is clearly loud, but on stage, Mm. it's all rather calm. I find that very... Odd. There's been an issue with um, audiences singing along with in the West oh, End yes. in the sort of the bodyguard singing the the big number. People saying it's post pandemic and unruly audiences. Have you come across unruly? Has it got worse post pandemic? Or they've been appreciative, you know, and what what you hope for from an audience. They haven't been drunk or not noticeably anyway. <laughs> but I mean, I, it, it's difficult that, isn't it? I mean, in the 18th century, there was a riot in Covent Garden when they put the seat prices up. You know, a riot, and they had to bring them back down again. There's been no riots about seats getting incredibly expensive. Well, I, I, I've just done a pantomime. If the audience don't join in and sing along, you feel that the, the, yes. the evening's not going very well. 
so it's only a matter of etiquette, isn't it, and, and what those people uh, thought they were allowed to do. And if they say, I've paid my money and I'll behave as I want, you know, it's difficult to argue with it. But on the whole, pe- uh, the argument is, look, you're upsetting other people who want to enjoy it. But I don't think the person on stage should complain. Why not, though? Because it's we, a courtesy we, we, for you who's our, doing your our work. Our job is to serve, and, and oh, if the know. dish we provide is not <laughs> approved of... I hear a voice of dissent <laughs> well, here. I was once doing The Tempest at the Globe, and there was a, an American student standing in the, in the yard. Um, uh, during the, Prospero has this incredibly difficult speech talking about you know, what happened 14 years ago and all that. It's really tortuous stuff. And um, when I first mentioned Prospero's wicked brother, uh, Antonio, this guy in the front, big pint of beer and stuff, went, boo! <laughs> like that. So, so I looked at him in, you know, for a bit, in, not in an approving way, I can tell you. <laughs> And then carried on as as best I could. And then when I started telling Ariel off, he said, "Leave the poor spirit alone." I mean, it was it was extraordinary. <laughs> no one else was doing anything like this, so he was disrupting the performance. And what do you do when the aeroplanes go over and you can't be heard? Do you shout at them? Uh, uh, no. Do you, do, you, do you look at? Do you stare at them? Do you say no, no, no? I mean. No, you can't. If you're in the Globe in an open air theatre and someone shouts out, come on, it's, it's like... No, when they shouted out like that, too, too standing personal. in the front... Too personal. What they thought was is that they were at something else. The very first entrance I made on stage in a meaningful way was at, was at university. And uh, I didn't know then I was going to become an actor, but I was in the company of people who were, and uh, I, I was very excited. And I stepped onto the stage, and before I opened my mouth, someone in the amateur dramatic club where we were doing the show said, Get him off! <laughs> Apropos of nothing except my appearance. Uh, but since then, audience have been very friendly. Was there no doubt that that was about you? But, oh, well, it coincided with my arrival on stage, yes, I think. Mm. Coincidental or causal, what? do you think? <laughs> it was Derek Jacobi, <laughs> And it didn't stop you becoming an actor, which is... No, which is or great. him, of course. And that's The Leader. For more interviews, news and analysis, go to standard.co.uk or pick up the Evening Standard newspaper. This podcast is back at 4pm tomorrow. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.